Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, here we are, the day before Thanksgiving. Yes. Are you grateful? I am very grateful for many things. I'll tell you who's not grateful. LeVar. um, (laughs) LeVar Ball. (laughs) LeVar Ball is ungrateful. Not, not the White House, not the State Department, not him, not me. I alone, with my relationship with President Xi, after his tremendous political victory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there you go. Oh, uh, Tier doesn't have time for YouTube. If you have time for Facebook, you have time for YouTube. <laughs> That's where you're spotting yeah, exactly. someone coming. One of our Facebook Live listeners doesn't have time. Doesn't have time. By the way, one of... Uh, doesn't have time for the pain. Devontae, I think Devontae Jones, he's a, uh, a, he does uh, radio, AFRESPN, and he goes, all right, first of all, you are three seven-foot black guys in a, in a store in China, and you shoplift. You don't think you're going to be standing out? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was the yeah. epitome I mean, it, of stupidity. Is, you, yeah. you, you are a standout in that, yeah, in that you, demographic. Yeah, yeah so, it's, um, so yeah. Molly Worthen today. We're going to talk about Christianity today. Really broad, <laughs> narrow. We're, we're narrowing it down. We were going to go God. We're going to go God. Then we got down to Christianity. And we were going to go gratitude, but that seemed passe. Um, <laughs> How to escape from Roy Moore's evangelicals by Molly Worthen, a great American religious historian, teaches at UNC. Yep. And she wrote this piece about basically how to escape from Roy Moore's evangelicalism. It's about this kind of um, Christianity that, you know, seems kind of uh, David, uh, uh, David uh, French called it creepy Christianity. Well, all uh, right. But I think, yeah, I think one of the things uh, it's worth the art. We'll put the article in the show notes link yeah. to it. But I think it's worth defining. What does she define as Roy Moore Christianity? Yeah. I mean, she's thinking that this sort of. These conservative evangelicals who are, who in, in her words, she's actually, who's she quoting here? Miss, uh, she's quoting Kathleen Scheich, who went to Dallas Seminary and now is, um, kind of frustrated by evangelicals, prejudiced and predation in the midst of the evangelical movement. And she says that the, Miss Scheich here, who Molly's quoting says that one more sign that a new Ritual has superseded Sunday worship and weekend Bible studies, a profane devotional practice with immense power to shape evangelicals' beliefs. The liturgy is the nightly consumption of conservative cable news. Uh, liberals love to complain about conservative steady diet of misinformation through partisan media, but Miss Scheich's complaint is more profound. Sean T- Hannity and Tucker Carlson aren't just purveyors of distorted news, but high priests of a false religion. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about this. This is a theme that comes up on a regular basis. Um, you, By the way, who watches more Fox News that you that you know that you're friendly with than me? No one. I watch a lot of Fox News. You do watch a lot I, of Fox I call Bill a lot at night, usually after I've had a little scotch and I've sat and watched Bill. <laughs> I, well, some, I just fill Bill in. I'm, someone asked me, uh, do, you, do, you, do, you watch, uh, do you take times to watch other perspectives on the news? I go, no, because Scott does it for oh, me. Oh, yeah. I, 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 Scott I watch, calls and fills me in, so I don't have to. So that's actually one of the great... Ways you serve me. Exactly. I appreciate that. My favorite thing is when they bring in Geraldo on the five and they're like, and Geraldo starts fact checking and and they're like, they're all looking at him like, is this guy for real? We don't do that here. We don't (laughs) shut facts out here. What the hell? 
<laughs> All right, but it's uh, yeah. I, I so I, I if anybody has questions about Fox News, I watch a lot of it. He does, yeah. Um, you know, I think the trouble with um, with the if you would the Fox News merger with a kind of Christianity is the same problem that we've critiqued about a particular liberal ideology that got married to you know mainline Christianity. Absolutely, or absolutely. In other words, the problem is that. Uh, it's it's almost impossible um, not to allow culture or a political agenda to hijack Christianity. I mean, this was uh, years and years ago. This maybe was written. Chuck Colson wrote, wrote an editorial back in the early '80s when the um, moral majority of folks were were rising, and he said he was very critical of the movement because he said the trouble is that, you know, it's inevitable that power hijacks religion. And he talked about his own experience when he was working for Nixon, that, you know, he they brought a bunch of evangelical leaders into the White House. And he said we needed, you know, we were willing to negotiate with them about stuff. But once we gave them a tour of the White House and they were there around the president, we got everything we wanted from them and didn't have to give them anything. And the, the corruption, corrupting nature of power and also the fact— It's interesting, too. David French made this point in our conversation I had with him last week. He said that this is an interesting thing. He said he thinks that evangelical, he, said, he thinks your average liberal, because they have more rootedness in elite institutions, they're not quite as impressed by, like, oh, we got to go to the White House, we got to lay hands. Whereas he said, because evangelicals are sort of more distanced from some of those, I mean, it's a big, oh, we got that you can pick their pockets if you just let them into the Oval Office and these pictures. Like, he thinks that that has a much bigger impact on evangelical leaders than it does on most progressives. Yeah, that could be. That could it's be it's just an interesting insight. I don't, yeah. Uh, yeah, it may or may not be the case. But I, I do think there's a sense where it's it's a, um, I mean, because our politics really reinforce our, our inherent prejudices. In other words, we have natural tendencies, I think, towards being liberal or conservative or confused or whatever, middle or whatever. And so when we're listening to things that really- Fox News confirms my prejudice because I think people like Sean Hannity is going to get on there and not talk about the truth, reality, or facts. And he confirms it. <laughs> Wait, is that a prejudice? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, is that just a fact? Just point of fact, yeah. So I think instead of the gospel confronting us, you know, confronting our, you know, idolatries, when you have something like the Roy Moore, Fox, or Breibart, or whatever triangle you want to create down there, uh, then it actually ends up making Christians, which we have a good history of this, Christians endorsing really horrible things uh, in the name of expediency, in the name of a greater good. In other words, you know, Hitler can't, you know, I know Hitler says some things that we're a little offended about, but he's going to help restore Germany. You know, there were Christian leaders that talked that way. Or like Kirk Cameron as a legitimate actor. <laughs> I, at one time, Howard Stern, they've had this debate. They had this, I don't know, like, um, that Kirk Cameron was on who, uh, Pierce Morgan, and they were arguing about the sexuality issues and stuff. And he's like, if I were Kirk Cameron, I'd be like, you want proof there's a God? Look here, I'm on your show. I haven't worked in years. <laughs> like, I'm a terrible B actor from the 80s. I haven't, I haven't worked in years. That's proof God exists. <laughs> I'm on your show. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, back to the article. Good <laughs> <laughs> camp. I'll never forget to forgive the left behind people for what they did to Nicolas Cage. That. Yeah, Nicolas Cage is quite capable of doing that to himself. Though. I like Nicolas Cage. Uh, what about what is the bee man? What's the one where the uh, oh where he, the bees the remake a oh, Wicker Man? <laughs> <laughs> Not the bees. <laughs> yeah. 
So, okay, so yeah, Molly sort of says that this is, you know, the Fox News and why it's liturgical, right? Is it's, 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 it's repetitive, almost ritualistic thing, right? You do it every night and it forms in them particular fears and desires, an idea of America. It's convincing, she thinks, on a logical level. And the church is not communicating to them in that same way that there's this. Now, by logical, I mean, there's a logic to it. Like that. There's an, there's an, Interior logic to it. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, I do think there's a sense where... Um, and then she points out, though, too, also, that, like, this is a great thing for you. Stepping on the line. I'm stepping on your line there. So hours of tearful victims' testimony will not deter evangelicals to see Roy Moore as the latest Christian mar- mar- martyr persecuted by the liberal establishment. I mean, that's an interesting point, that that, that here it's, it's sort of like the liturgical repetition. Now, Roy Moore... And, and I think the reason this is possible too, I think, is is the partisanship. J- just like in a different era, where where people still, where people could still win over forty states and stuff like that, and you had senators from both parties in one state, and that kind right. of thing. You know, things like I think this was probably not as as possible. But now it's just you know whoever gets put on the not like Donald Trump. A lot of people did not vote for him in the primaries and were adamant about him, you know, and, he, and, and about the fact that he was not a real conservative. He wasn't fit. Then once he got the nomination, everyone fell in line. Right. Sure. Well, it's like the governor of Alabama says that, you know, he thinks the, you know, the, the charges against him may be true, but he's or she thinks she's a woman. She thinks they might be true, but she's going to vote for the Republican. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Better a Republican, a Democrat than a pedophile. Or better a pedophile than a Democrat. Yeah, that's, that's the new battle That's the new battle That's the new standard. They're going to see that. You imagine you saw that at a campaign rally. Yeah. <laughs> better a pedophile than a Democrat. Yeah, wow, wow. No, and um, I, I mean, I think to me the article's a little bit all over the place. I think she's, I mean, I think she's trying to link a lot of stuff together if it doesn't necessarily link together. Uh, I mean, in terms of, I mean, she goes to the Benedict option. And, well, she, what she does, I think she's surveying a group of people that are kind of the resistance to this sort of stuff. So it's like, yeah, Jamie Smith, you got the Benedict option, the liturgists. Because so Benedict option is kind of a conservative version of, of this sort of protest. The liturgists are more kind of progressive evangelical type of, or post-evangelical kind of part of the protest to this kind of mainstream Right. To the eighty percent, like I mean, because this is what evangelical is right. Evangelicalism is right now, right? There's Wheaton College and you know Gordon Conwell and Christianity Today, but that's like the twenty percent, the eighty-one percent that are like the Trump supporters that are that like like she's talking you, about are here. You, are you sure the alumni of Wheaton College are in the twenty percent? Are you sure the no the no, donor base? No, no, I'm not sure. I'm just saying I think the people that run those institutions. Are sort of never Trumpers and are don't trying to identify differently. Yeah, yeah, and don't recognize. Yeah, I agree. They would not support this kind of base, tribal folk religion populist movement. But the twenty percent don't have much impact on the on the rank and the on the eighty percent. No, like, the, ran, the rank and file people in Baptist churches, independent evangelical churches all across the country don't give a damn what Christianity today says, right? right. Or or what or what these sort of uh, more mature kind of reflective evangelical institutions you know have to say about things it's just not they it's it's the, the wedge between the rank and file and the people that lead those kinds of evangelical institutions it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger why don't you think this is still another function of just the, the splittering of protestantism isn't this don't you think this is just part of the larger where you know the logical conclusion of the anti-authoritarianism the anti-traditionalism that started the protestant reformation I mean, you know, we're... You know, although, you, although I w- wouldn't say that the 
Luther and Calvin were well, anti-authority. They or weren't, anti- but what they did, but they they let they let they opened Pandora's box, right? Uh, well, yeah, I think you that, can't put you can't put it back in. You can't put the genie back in. The no, box. right? I think that that, that especially I just mixed my metaphors there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. It's I mixed my mythology there. Exactly. No, yeah, I think that you know Calvin and Luther are still medieval men and are not for private ju- interpretations. I mean, they still want teaching authority. Sure, there. absolutely. So, but you're right. I mean, I think. Subsequent to that, especially when you you get the enlightenment taking root, and it just yeah. you can't you can't put the horses back in the barn. That was our boy. There's we just there's another there's another one. There's another one. Is we that, just are is that, <laughs> that I use that right right. Or the yeah, horses, yeah. the fence, you can't. I forget. How are you gonna get them back to the farm once they've seen Perry? <laughs> We're really hitting the metaphors today. <laughs> Don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes. Oh, that has nothing to do with anything. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right. But back, back. To- so yeah, so I think partially it's that. I mean, I think there, there's probably um, some degree, yeah. And I, I think also that you have, you know, I think that for some people, Christianity is like an ethnicity. We're not Jews. Yeah. We're not Muslims. You know, we're white and we're Christian. Like it's a, it's a sort of. I mean, this is why it's very interesting. Richard Spencer, right, the head of the alt right. You know, he's an atheist, right? But he really thinks Christianity is a really important part of uh, our heritage. I mean. It, it's it's this it's it's kind of paired with a sort of well, populist nationalism. Well, that, yeah, I mean that's how fascism used. It. I mean that's really how fascism used religion in the 20th century. I mean it's it's it, it, there is a formula. He knows he knows the formula. He's I still love this. what Jonah Goldberg said about the inaugural debate. He said, you know, Trump could have really made headway if he led with infrastructure, but instead he gave this blood and soil inaugural, the Bannon which I hear is better in the original German <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Italian. <laughs> no, I mean, but we laugh, but we're serious. But I mean, you know, the fact is the, the, the you know, I, I have a house near me that flies that don't tread on me, a, a Confederate flag. And last time I, I looked, I think we won the Revolutionary War. I'm pretty sure we did. And number two, we're north of the Mason-Dixon line. So, but these mixing them, and and they probably, you know, they're they're you know happy that uh, we can say Merry Christmas again, and probably won't be in church on on, right, on Christmas. Right, yeah. right. Now yeah. it's a, it's a that's a yeah. I mean, I think that's that's definitely the case. By the way, did you know Vermont was an independent republic for like 13 years? I didn't know that. Yeah, I just learned that. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's a, that's so interesting. Yeah, it was a yeah. It didn't it didn't enter into the. It was uh, the fifteenth state, I think, Vermont. And now I could be wrong about that. It was not one of the original. No, it's right. It's fifteenth. Free, free thinkers. Yeah, no, in New Hampshire up there, they, they still are. Do you know Bernie Sanders got in his last Senate election twenty one percent of the Republican vote in Vermont? Yeah, that's yeah. astounding. No, no, Vermont's a fascinating place. I, I mean, that's just a good politics. I mean, you get twenty one percent of the no. other party's vote. I mean, that's. No, that's the, well. That, used to, and that used something. to that used. To, I mean, that used to happen in Pennsylvania all the time. It happened. Used to happen in West Virginia as well. Robert Byrd was a Democrat, and he used to carry. You know, he used to get elected eighty percent. Vladimir Putin and, and President Xi <laughs> with tremendous political victories. <laughs> well, you know, we have counties and states that are one party places. They're not that dissimilar to how things. You know, that's kind of the tragedy. I think of. Uh, People that have a have allegiance, you know, and again, what do even the political parties stand for anymore? That's the other thing. I mean, that's still shifting, but their allegiance is to a name and to an ideology. That and the gerrymandering stuff, you know, that's another thing I was interested in because I, you know, David French is one of these guys. He reads the, he reads oral arguments, yeah. and he said he thinks the Wisconsin case will be decided in favor of the plaint of the plaintiff who's saying gerrymandering is a problem. You know, that yeah. this is, but then he said, you know, the problem is. 
still with all this self-sorting and, you know, liberals kind of moving to cities. And so he's like, if, if liberals want to change the country, they got to move out of Brooklyn. Yeah. And I think there, like, this is the part of the issue. Like, I, and I do think there are problems with the gerrymandering, like in Wisconsin, where you can get 60 some percent of the legislature seats with 48 percent of the popular vote. I mean, that's, that's wacky. Right. But even uh, allowing for, they have this really interesting algorithm and stuff, but even allowing for that, there's still going to be unbalanced. I mean, the, the country is sorting in some ways that are going to make us more alienated, more isolated. And the, 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 the gerrymandering rulings won't solve all of that. And no. it'll solve underhanded kind of stuff, but still we're going to have like. No, I think there's no, I think in, and we, we assume, you know, and this is part of why it's, history is important to learn and know, but. We kind of. You said something to me the other day. I say so. You're like, I don't care. You're like, I know you don't care about history. (laughs) (laughs) Oh well, yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I'm not. I was right about that incident. That what I was saying then. We'll leave. We won't talk about what it was, but I was right there. All right. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Charlotte Donlin, Stephen Rowe, Andrew Stravitz, Jim Crest, and Liam O'Brien. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. But, um, no, I mean, we, we, we forget, I mean, uh, we kind of say, yeah, we had a civil war. We study it and people reenact it, but it didn't resolve itself very well. I mean, basically the South got, you know, whooped. It got driven into the ground and they were forced in a settlement. But, you know, after Reconstruction ended, there was a lot of, I mean, reassorting where a lot of problems weren't solved. I think what's going on in Alabama uh, has as much to do with what didn't get worked out after 1876. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's that's probably true. Yeah, um, and and again, I don't. I mean, I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. It's just a point of fact that we as a country have some very serious issues. That uh, you know, I think, for instance, World War II, we rallied together, okay, and that brought a certain kind of unity. But you read the social history of what was going on in this country in 1918 and the 1920s and the 30s, there was all kinds of significant social revolution stirring and dissatisfaction and horrendous situations in this country. Um, what was going on in 1968, 1969, 1970? So uh, those are just two snapshots. But I think the fact that this will this union prevail it is not a given. It is certainly not. Yeah. You know, the thing that's interesting when people talk about 
impe- the impeachment of President Trump. Like, like Will Mueller, you know. Yeah. I, 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 but that's a dangerous thing. I mean, impeaching a president, right, can rip apart the country if you unsee. I mean, this is the, there's a cost to electing somebody that's unfit for office. Right. Like, because getting, because we're not a By the way, I'd like to make a choice to James Buchanan because he's not, doesn't look so bad right now. The only president of Pennsylvania ever had, James Buchanan. You know, we're not a parliamentary system, right? I'm aware of that. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, it's different. Like when you, when somebody's not succeeding in a parliamentary system. Is that why my social liberal, is that why my social Christian party votes never get counted? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Shoot. You know, I mean, it is different. Like when you make an, we have labor, we in labor here. I keep looking for my labor candidates, and they're not here in Bucks County. We actually do live in one of the more fifty-fifty-ish areas. Yeah, we do. We, I mean, it's right. Yeah, it that's is. why CNN did so much like yeah. interviews around here yeah. during yeah. the election. But, but yeah, I mean, in a parliamentary system, the stakes aren't as high when you you have someone you got to get sure. rid of. Yeah, right. because right. the party, it's just a different thing. But you can dissolve the government, right? Yeah, I wish we had that on. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> Let's just dissolve the government tomorrow. But no, I think you're right. I mean, and there's a reason it's only ever, you know, we're only talking about three times it has ever happened. Uh, and, you know, really two of those times were driven by politics. Uh, you know, uh, and, and again, I mean, I think we won't get into the, the Clinton situation, but I mean, what he did was wrong, but was it an impeachable fence? That's a different, should he resign? That's a whole other issue. Right, yeah, right, right. Uh, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, really, Nixon was the only one. I mean, Andrew Johnson, that was, I mean, he wasn't very competent, but that was because he was trying to really, in some levels, in his own incompetent way, carry on the vision of Abraham Lincoln about what the bringing the country back together. Somebody in the 19th century in D.C. said, I read this article about Johnson, he said, you know, no matter how bad you think Andrew Johnson is, you eventually find out. He's worse. <laughs> yeah, but at that point, uh, that was bad. It, it, it would be fun for those of you who are Republicans now to see what your Republican Party was like in uh, 1668, or 19, I'm sorry, 1868, because it was uh, a very different kind of uh, what they cared about was very different, almost diametrically opposed to what they care about today. Well, this is a Southern strategy too, right? Yeah, I mean, right, you, yeah, you, right, you, right. you really, I mean. Yeah, the Republicans now are really in many ways the old Confederacy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not. I mean, at least in the south, sa- in the in the, in the south, in the south, in yeah. southeast, yeah. it's people that that were in that. Yeah, geographically, yeah. shifted. Yeah, yep, that was the Nixon. Yeah, it's the uh, yeah, ten soldiers in Nixon coming. He, it's the gift, Richard M. Nixon, the gift that keeps on giving. Our last liberal president. <laughs> I mean, you look at policy wise, Nixon, For, uh, the I, EPA, affirmative no. action. He was even, I think, trying to get rid of the um, local school board funding system because it's unjust, like a never national. I mean. When you look back politically, <laughs> Nixon looks like a progressive. That's right. And and Reagan looks like a moderate. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. But it is an issue too. Imagine a Republican Party where Barry Goldwater, the old nominee, just goes to the White House and says, you have to resign. I mean, like, I mean, this was their own party's president. You know, like, yeah, these th- are, that know. was, I think there's a mythology behind the Goldwater. I mean, he did, but the, the writing, it was almost a face saving thing. I actually just read there was a rewriting of that whole thing, but you're right. You'd have to go. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, it's just interesting. Like that would, you, you you're not going to see that happen today. No, because we don't have, there's no, we have, well, we have, the only, I mean, we have a couple people with courage. Yeah, like yeah. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> no, that's not the first Paul name. That those are not, none of those names Paul came to mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe the most disappointing 
One of the most disappointing guys of all. Of what did you say? Lewis say in like the weight of glory or something, or was or was it in uh, the abolition of man this time? Men, the, the rising of men without chests. Yes, <laughs> that's the congressional he, he, he does great cardio, but it has not given him any heart. No, no, no. Oh, but we we've kind of got a little bit off our. Okay, yeah. So basically, yeah. They, they talk about you know that that she quotes Jamie Smith who has written extensively about this stuff and he says you know we are ultimately liturgical animals because we are fundamentally desiring creatures um we are what we love and you know she talks about yeah idolatry and the benedict option and and also she mentions as you said before the liturgists and some some other folks who are you know trying to, to it's funny because she she talks about how Richard Rohr says that he was surprised that the most popular books for selling with young younger evangelicals right now and these are probably that 20% yeah. with it, are are about liturgy and, and personal spiritual formation so there's this Well yeah no I mean I I mean that really was my um 20 some years ago actually probably now almost 30 years ago I my uh, I just found evangelicalism just wore out for me. It just didn't give me what I needed, spiritually or intellectually. And, uh, you know, certainly I was a psychology major and was at Princeton and loved the education at Princeton. But that certainly wasn't giving me the, the existential or theological or spiritual answers I needed. So part of my becoming a studying church history, not part of it, probably the majority of it was my own search for, for, for roots, you know, for something deeper and something more substantial. So going deeper into the tradition and, and, um, you know, I've said before, yeah, I was reading Bart at Princeton and, you know, I kept reading the, the footnotes, you know, the long footnotes from Athanasian. I go, well, maybe I should learn Athanasius before <laughs> I learn Bart. And that's kind of how the journey began. But I do think there's a sense where, I mean, um, we, um, you know, there was, we talked about this one person said, you know, the death of American Christianity because of this kind of prejudicial and uh, myopic following of political people in the name of Christ. I mean, we have a history of that as Christians. Okay? There's, we have a very... We have a very checkered history as Christians. I do think that um, you know we'll pay, you know Christianity will will pay you know you you'll what you sow you're going to reap and the fact is the anti intellectualism the lack of teaching the Bible um, the lack of you know, a really uh, a engagement with your community and other things where we are. We are, you know, reaping. You know, we are reaping what has been sowed in previous generations as a church. Um, you know, some of this is not our fault. You know, some of it's just what's going on in culture. And you know, there are times where the church just has to hunker down and do its work and be faithful. But um, when you put your Christianity in a box and you hand that box to false prophets and antichrist, like Moore. Moore's an antichrist. I was going to say, wait, is Hannity the false prophet and Tucker's the antichrist? Well, they're both. <laughs> I mean, they both are. They both are. They both are because what they stand for is antichrist. Okay. Now, the the right wing does not have a monopoly on being antichrist. Okay. There's certainly plenty of it other around. But if you call, you know, that's the, that's the blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When you call bad good and good bad, you know, that's what, the, that's what Jesus said. You're getting close here to the Pharisees because they were accusing him of casting out demons in the name, you know, casting out demons in the name of the devil. And Jesus said, you're getting close. You're getting close. Only to I can fix it. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm saying is that the unforgivable sin is when you call evil good. That's because you don't, you, you've turned the world so far upside down that you can't discern right from wrong. And Dante in, in Inferno, that's why the devil's frozen upside down. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, because he sees the world upside down and makes him mad the way God does things. He flaps his wing and he keeps himself frozen. I mean, if evangelicals continue on this road, they're going to be frozen in the hell of their own making. And that's, that's you know, and they will reap that. Okay. And, you know, and I mean, it'll be part of another not so great chapter in American Christianity. And we've talked about this before. Like, it's a lesson that, like, you could have learned from liberal Protestantism. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, look I, at I look. mean, this is what killed mainland Protestantism. It was yes. too politi- too much in the early 60s. It was too politicized. And, and it's one of the contributing factors of actually the evangelical sort of boom was people wanted a more religious religion. <laughs> right. They wanted, yeah, they wanted, they and, wanted faith. They, yeah, wanted, and they, then, wanted, they wanted to learn how to say their prayers. They the wanted evangelicalism just God. kind of mirrored yeah. it. They've uh, become the exact same thing and the same thing will happen to them. So it's really, by the way, I was just thinking about this and we should at some point do this in the future. I think it would be very interesting for us to take a podcast or two and talk about the Marsden thesis and some of its competitors. Uh, oh yeah. Like, sure. you know, I mean, well, tell them what that is. I mean, like, well, basically you, you have this kind of, um, I, I think you have this kind of one understanding of of American religious history that sees the kind of fundamentalist modernist controversy, right, as as fairly determinative. You have others that don't, like right. that think, like you know, for instance, um, who's the guy from uh, Westminster? Um, he wrote that. He wrote that. Major D. G. Hart. He really thinks that. It's the new school, old school split. Right. You see, that's the divine thing. One, a more continental European kind of mm-hmm. Christianity that's Augustinian, that's a pilgrim faith inherited from the forest, and another more, more sort of revivalistic, pietistic, personalistic. And he thinks that split, by the time you get to the fundamentalist modernist controversy, it's all the children of the new school. Like right. it's all, you know, the liberals right. and the fundamentalists. Right, right, no. And so I, it would just be interesting to yeah. talk about some, no, some to, to give our, for what, if anybody cares, to give our uh, take on what brought us to this moment. Yeah, it, it's, and it's not accident. I mean, that's the other thing, too. I mean, it's not surprising we're here. That's part of what we're trying to say. How we've gotten here makes sense historically and and um, and what, you know, there's, there's a logical progression. You know, we didn't have to get here, but this, to me, is just the ongoing— I wouldn't even call it working out. It feels more like the sputtering out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like, you know, the the, ga- the tank's running on empty and fumes, and this is what we get. But again, um, from a historical perspective, uh, Christians have done similar things with different ideologies, different times, and they've run the thing into the ground, and God raises up new things. Um, but that doesn't mean great damage isn't done in the, in, the, in the interim. And so, you know, I think we have an obligation to come out from among them, be ye separate from among them, and, um, you know, try to be about the things that we were called to be as Christians. And uh, the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ and the liberating message that that has to offer people. Yeah, it's interesting because she concludes this article by saying all these people— all the people she mentioned before have one thing in common. The instinct that worship should be an act of humility, not hubris. It should be a discomforting experience, not a doubling down on what's easy and familiar. The battle for the soul of evangelicalism, the struggle to disentangle it from white supremacy, from misogyny, and from the instinct to defend politicians like Roy Moore, demands sound arguments grounded in evidence. But the effort must also advance at the precognitive level, in the habits and relationships of worshiping communities. Fellowship has the power to refashion angry gut feelings and instead form meek hearts and bound in duty. 
And, and I think that there's, so, that's well said. I mean, I think that, yeah. that again, what you're saying, if we had, if we had a kind of church culture that actually formed people to, to, you know, to learn, uh, who the God revealed in Jesus Christ is, what the nature of the gospel is, how, how to be about tending to first things that without yeah. using the, to, to a real spirituality, not this kind of, um, sort of, something that becomes the Sunday form of the weekly rancor. Yeah, and progressive evangelicals out there, don't be so damn self-righteous because you can become just like the people you're criticizing. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm serious. You know, I mean, you know, don't feel superior. I mean, they are your brothers and sisters. We all, you know, and I think that's really important too. Uh, yeah, no, I think this, because it's, yeah. you know, because evangelicalism has it, they have to be the righteous. You know, that's the trouble with the whole neo-Anabaptist movement. That's why all those Zondervan Four Views books sell so well, because we got to have four views on something, and I find the right one. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just another way to nullify the grace of God. So I think the fact of the matter is that I'm very grateful uh, for the evangelicalism that fed and taught me my faith. And to be honest with you, that's part of the foundation that really spurs me to re- you know to reject this current uh, antichrist kind of Christianity. But, you know, if they are children of God and they are baptized Christians, they're still my brothers and sisters. So being critical of their idea, and it's all right to call them antichrist if they're antichrist, but we have to be careful that what we are saying, you know, we can create a new kind of legalism yeah. and self-righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Judgmentalism knows no bounds or partisan kind of Yeah, I mean, it's okay. I mean, if something's antichrist, it's, you know, the New Testament's full of calling it antichrist, but that's not, you know, my, their ultimate judgment's not in my hands. So. Yeah. Thank God for that. Yeah. Thank God for that. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for coming along tonight because this, the next song is going to be the last number and I won't have a chance afterwards. Thank you very much for being a nice audience. Bef- uh, before we do do the next number, I'd like to introduce on bass guitar, Dee Murray, and on uh, drums, Nigel, I've got the biggest kid in the world, Olsen, and uh, my new band, and uh, we're going to do a number called Burn Down the Mission. Thank you very much. Black smoke fly to heaven, see the red flame light. 
turn it down. 